Global Telling, you have a prepaid call from Silas. An inmate at the Avenal State Prison, Avenal, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hello. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm well. How are you today? I'm doing really good. Okay, so we are live on KZAA LP 96.5 FM right now. Uh, coming to you live out of the, yeah out of the studio in Casa de la Raza in Santa Barbara, and we are joined by a very 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 special guest. Uh, Silas, you want to tell us where exactly you're calling from? Yeah, uh, I'm calling from Avenal State Prison. Uh, I've been here for a little over a year, and uh, I've been down uh, close to ten years now, but. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be speaking with you, Mom. Yeah, I'm happy to be speaking with you, too. So this is something pretty different for radio. We don't usually do interviews <laughs> from somebody who's <laughs> live from somebody who's inside the state prison. So um, I'm really honored and, and grateful to have you on the show. Um, so just so all the listeners know, this is a live phone call. So we will be interrupted by the kind lady from the CDC uh, <laughs> Global Telling Communications, letting us know that letting us know that the call is being monitored. And then so we'll have to do it in increments of 15 minutes. So you know when we get to the 60 second mark, that kind lady will also let us know, and then you can just hang up and call back if that's okay. Yeah, not a problem. Awesome. So you said, um, so where are you from originally? I'm from Santa Maria. Uh, born and raised. Uh, spent my formative years there and uh, I lived there until I was 19. And then I uh, enlisted in the Army and moved out to the Kentucky area. Okay, so you enlisted in the Army and the Army took you to Kentucky? Yeah, well, I, I, I enlisted as a cavalry scout. Um, basic training was at Fort Knox in Kentucky, and then I got stationed right down the road at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Okay, what what took you from uh, a life in Santa Maria to, like, what, what was your motivation for joining the Army, if you don't mind me asking? Well, uh, I left home when I was 16 years old. It was kind of a, it was kind of a halfway, got kicked out, and halfway ran away sort of situation. Um, I was having a lot of problems uh, just within the household. It was kind of a turbulent environment growing up. Um, I left home, um, but it was not a very good uh, next couple of years. I, I lived on the street. I slept in parks. I, you know, couch surfed with friends anywhere where I could lay my head for the night. Um, and, and I also developed a pretty bad uh, substance abuse problem. Um, I found myself in the back of a squad car a couple times and I, I knew that if I didn't do something different, uh, that it was going to end bad for me. And I wanted to make a change in my life and just get out of the environment, get away, get a fresh start. Uh, and that's what I endeavored to do when I enlisted in the military. Okay. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine leaving home at 16 and then being on the streets, it'd be pretty hard to survive. Um, so what was it like when you when you got to the Army? Like, how long were you there for? 
well, <laughs> I, I enlisted when I was 19 years old. Um, it was right during the troop surge in Iraq, so they needed they needed people, especially combat arms positions, they needed people really bad. So within six months of enlisting, I, uh, I, did, a, I did a quick training, and within six months of enlisting, I was boots on ground in Iraq. Uh, I got um, stationed with the 101st Airborne Division, which was an honor. Um, and I, I just, I deployed really, really quickly. <laughs> so it was this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Um, it was overall a great experience. Um, I didn't anticipate some of the difficult things that I would experience while I was overseas. I, I, I think I was a little too young to fully comprehend what I was getting myself into. Um, so there was that part of it, you know, the bad. But overall, it was it was a great experience for me. It, it gave me some discipline and direction in my life like I had never known at the time. Um, yeah, it, it, it was good. I did 13 months in Iraq, uh, came back for a year and a half, and then did 12 months in Afghanistan. Dang, that's crazy, man. That's like thinking about, you, you, so a 19-year-old kid coming from the streets of Santa Maria trying to make a, a, made a decision to you know change your life, get some structure in your life, and then within like six months, you're on the ground you know, in the Middle East, like that's a, that's like, had to be some culture shock there, right? Oh, it was, it was, I, I had ventured out, you know, a couple states out from California in my youth, but nothing, nothing like that. It was culture shock for sure. I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into and it was just, um, you know, a revelation that, um, where I come from, people are so much different from, Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, yeah, much, much respect to you for, for serving the country and, and doing that at such a young age. Um, so when did you, uh, when did you leave, when did you leave the army? Like how old were you when you left or what was your total time served in the military? I did about five years in the army. Uh, I came back in 2011, um, and came back to Santa Maria and, uh, shortly thereafter, I, uh, once again, found myself um, addicted to drugs, and things took a pretty drastic turn from there. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. So, like, we talked before about, but I'm a drug and alcohol counselor, so I'm just thinking of like the power of the power of addiction and and the mentality that comes with that. Is like, you spend five years in a structured, you know, army environment overseas, like risking your life, and you know, maybe having a plan to come home and implement, but yet the mind of, you know, the mind of addiction overpowers whatever plan you might've had when you came home and then you're just back yeah, to square well, one. It's, it's what a lot of people don't realize is for soldiers who are deployed overseas, like they're, they're dealing with that set of problems there. It's quite literally a life or death situation, but back home life continues and you know, things, things happen back home. Like, like sometimes, um, you know, different things happen. People's wives leave them, and, and you know, people die, and you're stuck over there, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's uh, uh, guys. I've seen a lot of guys come back, and they have to deal with this whole mess that happened while they were overseas, and it just adds to the stress of reintegration after coming back. 
Yeah, definitely. Like you're already carrying, you know, trauma and, and all the heavy emotional stuff, you know, that you're bringing back and then into a family dynamic or, you know, whatever the home dynamic is that you've been away from. And, um, right. Yeah. So then you, so then you got back. So this, so, uh, my, this radio show is called your life in America. Uh, I've been doing it for a couple of years and about a year and a half ago, or maybe it's been longer than that. I started like a side series called your life in prison. Uh, cause I have so many friends and people close to me who've been affected by the prison system. And so this is actually the 11th episode or interview I'm doing, uh, for that series. Um, just so, just so anyone listening knows that. So you came back uh, to Santa Maria, and you said shortly you kind of started getting into some trouble. Yeah, well, I uh, I definitely at that time in my life I I was emotionally illiterate. I <laughs> um, I had a lot of um, a lot of self esteem issues. I had a, a lot going on. Um, you know, while I was overseas. Um, my, my mother was, was fighting cancer. Um, my wife had left me and it, it, there was just a lot going on. So I mm. came back to kind of a, a very stressful situation. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but within, within an hour of landing at LAX, um, I was, I was doing drugs. I, I was, Dang, I was using, crazy. Uh, methamphetamine. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I didn't have the skills, I didn't, I wasn't able to cope, um, with everything going on, it was just a lot, um, you know, I, I would like to say that, um, I tried really hard to do it the right way, but I, but I didn't, I, I just, I'd been a drug addict, uh, you know, ever since I was a teenager, and I knew that there was temporary, uh, very temporary relief from, from pain from it. And I knew it was wrong, but I, I did it anyways, you know, um, I convinced myself that it was, uh, believe it or not, the, the way to go about things. Yeah, no, I, I do believe that 100%. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah, that's just, yeah. it's pretty, that's like the baffling thing about, about addiction and just living with pain with no coping skills is within an hour you know, not even leaving the airport parking lot, you're already getting your swerve on, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So then it was back back to Santa Maria. Yeah. Well, I went back to Santa Maria. Um, in the ignorance of youth, I, I kind of decided to reach out to some old friends, you know, um, ones that, Ones that I knew were not going to be productive for me. Uh, I spent a lot of my youth hanging around with, uh, you know, criminals and drug addicts and gang members, and and I I went right back to that. I chose very poor company, and I and I just went right back to that. And um, I mean, putting yourself in that situation and then wondering why things go all all bad for you is kind of ridiculous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's what I did. That's what I did. Uh, I chose for a company and, and I just, uh, things snowballed very quickly. As soon as I came back, uh, just surrounded myself with people who 
Yeah, definitely. So you said you've been down for, uh, or I guess I should say for listeners who don't know, you've been incarcerated now for 10 years? Uh, I'm going on 10 years. Going on 10 years this September. Yeah. Okay. That's a long time, man. Um, do you, do you want to share a little bit about, um, what, like what, what was, what was the case or cases that, that, that you were convicted of that got you that prison sentence? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, I want to start by saying that, um, it's, it's difficult for me to speak about, uh, because. It's, it, it's a weird thing, man. Look, looking back on it, knowing who I really am and looking back on what I did, it's 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 very hard to believe that, that that was me, that I let myself get to that point where I was doing those things. And so whenever I speak about it, um, I, it it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, uh, you know, humiliating to think of that, I, that I did this. But I was arrested in September of 2011 for uh, two different home invasion robberies. Uh, One was in Santa Maria, um, and then one was in San Luis Obispo County. Um, I I I robbed some innocent people because I decided that... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I decided that my addiction was more important um, that I was more important that, that my problems were more important than innocent people um, hmm. I've never really gotten a chance to you know say that part yeah. about it but um, it does feel you have 60 seconds remaining it feels good to actually be able to say that you know um, yeah but, yeah but I can, uh, I can continue on that if you like when I call back. Yeah, of course. As long as you're comfortable with it, um, you know, I'm again, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor, so I can, I've heard many things like that. You know, the shame is very powerful. I, I completely understand that. But yeah. as long as you're comfortable, yeah, just call back and we'll keep going. All right, man. I'll be right back. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye. All right, so we are joined live uh from inside the Avenal State Prison um, doing an interview. You can only do uh, like 15 minute increments of phone calls. So, you know, this is the cool thing about doing a live interview like this is that it, you know, it's unedited. It's really raw, but um, we will have to do it in 15 minute increments like this. Um, You're listening to Your Life in America live on KZAA LP 96.5 FM. All right, I've got our guest calling back. This is Global Telllink. You have a prepaid call from... Silas. An inmate at the Avenal State Prison, Avenal, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Telllink. All right, we're All back. Right. Yeah, we're back on. Yeah, we're live on KZAA LP 96.5 FM. So this is pretty cool. We're like broadcasting this. It's cool enough just to talk to you one-on-one, but this is actually being broadcasted on the radio um, from Carpinteria to Goleta. So um, thank you again for, cool. for taking the time out of your day to, to talk with me. Yeah, not a problem, man. 
Yeah, anytime. Um, okay, yeah. So some home invasions, um, and you got you got hemmed up for those. Is what you, what, what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was arrested in, in September of 2011. Um, I ended up taking a, a, a plea deal for 18 years in prison, um, two strikes. Um, I uh, since I had been incarcerated. Um, it was a slow process at first, but I, I eventually, it was kind of like slowly waking up out of a, out of a dream. You know, I, January 25th of this year is my, my eighth year clean and sober. Um, nice. Congratulations so I, on that. Thank you. Thank you, man. I, I, once I got clean, once I got sober, my, my mind started to clear up. I kind of looked around me and I, and I looked with, what I bought was my life, and it's—I I decided that it's not what I wanted. Um, I started making changes slowly. It, it, at first, I didn't know exactly what I needed to do. It, it, it started with um, prayer and meditation, and um, loved ones would send me books um, on uh, self-help and spirituality stuff like that. And that's, that's kind of how I, I started along the right direction. Um, and I, I got to the point where I am now where um, I'll be getting out next year uh, after doing a little over 10 years on an 18-year sentence because I've been able to earn so much time off by doing the right thing. Um, so it's it's really true, man. It's powerful. Like, I, I put myself here, but I realized a long time that just like how I put myself here, I could I could get myself out again. Yeah, and that's definitely. what I've been. Uh, <laughs> that's the crusade I've been on for for the last ten years is trying to get myself out of a hole that I'm in that I dug for myself. Yeah, I mean it. You know, it definitely sounds like you have, and we'll definitely touch on more of what you've done. And um, so, just to back up a little bit, because I always have to remember that. The, most of the people who listen to this show, they don't know anything about um, the prison system or the criminal justice system. So you say you took a deal. Right. So you took a deal for two strikes and 18 years. Um, what was yeah. that? Probably the best, your best option at the time. Um, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not really a, a, a delicate way to say it, but. Um, I, for what I did, that was a, a, a very um, lenient sentence, and I, I thank God that that was something that I had the opportunity to take because, um, you know, I, I've seen people do worse stuff, or I've seen people do stuff not as bad and get more time. Yeah. Um, so initially, uh, the DA wasn't offering anything. It was um, life in prison. And that, that was it, and that's what they were going for. Dang. Um, yeah, and that, that, that too was sobering. You know, I was 23 at the time, um, so facing the rest of my life in prison, it, it was a wake-up call. It, it's a shame it took all of that, but it, it was definitely a wake-up call. How long, how long did you have to sit in county and go back and forth to court thinking that you were... Um, I think... I believe the total that I was in Santa Barbara County Jail was 16, 17 months, and somewhere was, along those lines. 
And was it like towards the end of that 16 or 17 months that they finally offered you that plea deal? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they weren't coming off. Uh, yeah, you know, they, weren't, they weren't offering. So, anything so basically, you spent 16 months or so sitting in the county jail, expecting to serve life in prison, thinking there was no other way, and then they offered you that deal and yeah. you took it. Yeah. Well, I was I was partially in denial. Uh, I was partially in denial thinking that, you know, um, you know, it, it, and again, it's shameful, but as soon as the, as soon as the cell door slams shut, um, a lot of people are prone to, you know, you know, swearing they'll act right and reform their ways. And, and maybe if I pray hard enough, things will go right for me, you know, and I was definitely guilty of that. I was in denial, just kind of, um, hoping and praying that things would, uh, not end up like that. Yeah. God, just get me out of this one. And I promise I'll never do that ever again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I wasn't going to take the deal initially. Um, my, it was actually my, my sister. She, she's done a lot of time in prison. Um, she talked to me about it. She said, look, um, Silas, uh, this is, the best it's gonna. This is the best it's gonna get. If you don't take this, then you're gonna get life in prison. So um, I definitely needed her advice, and um, I'm glad I did. Yeah, definitely. So, so, and then, um, so you took the deal, and then, so it wasn't uh, right away that you you started on the right path. You know, in in there, yeah. obviously. Um, so you probably like went to Wasco, and then. How long was it until, you know, you first landed wherever you landed in your... call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. There's our CDC lovely friend again. <laughs> um, how, long, how long was it till you know, you hit the main line and, and until you, you know, you finally landed somewhere until you, you know, you sobered up and, you know, around what time did that start to happen? How long into your term did you, did you finally come to the realization that you didn't want well, to keep doing the same thing? The, uh, the funny thing is, uh, my first day in prison was my first day sober. I, I caught the chain, um, to Wasco from the hole in Santa Barbara County jail. Um, and I used drugs that night and I caught the chain the next morning. I got to Wasco, and within, I don't know, within two hours of getting there, there was a giant riot in the reception center, and I was breathing pepper spray, and, and you know, it was it was something else. That was my first two hours in prison. And Dang. after I got processed, and they were walking me down the, the long corridor to my housing, and there were huge fences talked with razor wire on each side of me and two guards walking me down. Um, it got, it got very real to me and I didn't, I can't say that I made the conscious decision to never use drugs again in that moment. It just kind of is what, it's kind of what happened. I, I think maybe it started on a subconscious level. I, I just, I knew I didn't want it anymore. I knew I didn't want it. And just every day that I turned down drugs, it built upon the next day, built upon the next day, and before I knew it, I had six months of clean. It was just a constant exercise of choice in the moment. Yeah. And it just it just grew. It grew 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, congratulations again on that. Will, Will, yeah. who's, Will, I did a, the 10th volume of this series I did with Will from the same, you know, from Avenal where you're at right now. And I yeah. remember when he, because I've been talking to him ever since he first was in county, he told me that when he got to Wasco, it was like the wild, wild west. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah he was like, wild. yeah, he was like, people are just piercing themselves in weird places. There's drugs everywhere. Like, yeah. he was like, and he was, you know, and he, and he had had the same experience you did where he was, you know, he was ready to change. And it was just like, you know, he had, it was like that just that decision and date, yeah. you know, so yeah, I have a lot, a lot of respect to you for, for holding on to that, you know, um, through the, through those six months. Cause I know how that is yeah, as a person in recovery myself. I, yeah. I know how hard that is. Um, so, yeah. and I, so you've done a ton of stuff, uh, since you've, since you've been, since you've been incarcerated. Um, maybe we can just start talking about like, you know, what was your, what was your first, what were some of the first things you started getting into as far as like programs, um, in prison okay. that, you know, cause not sure. everybody goes that route, you know, people do people parole, right. people parole strung out. You know what I mean? Like, um, so it's, it's yeah. very, it's, um, it's interesting for people to know like what, you know, what were the first programs offered to you or what was your first initial, the first initial actions you took, um, to start getting involved in some positive programs? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, well, my, my first main line was high desert state prison yard, which is a, uh, it's a one yard. I'm, I'm not sure how to explain it to, uh, it's just it's it's a level four yard in prison one eighty design. It's it's other than um, I'd say other than the shoe, it's the most secure prison there is, and that's where they put all the people who are constantly getting in trouble. Um, so that was my first main line. I I had to go to a level four to start with because um, because of the the nature of my crimes and. Uh, just how I conducted myself initially when I was in county jail. Um, so that was my first mainline. That that being said, when I arrived at High Desert and through my duration there, there was not really any programs to speak of. Um, this is pre uh, Prop 57, pre um, it, it was before they really started implementing the rehabilitation at those upper level prisons. So there wasn't really programs. The only thing that they offered was voluntary college education. Um, so that's where I started. I signed up for college. It was uh, it took about a year on the waiting list to get into. But my I was given uh, a couple courses through Feather River College. Uh, I got pre algebra and um, intro to psychology. Those are my first two classes. Um, you know, I, I shared with you the other day that I dropped out of high school when I was a junior. Um, I didn't believe I was capable of doing any kind of college work. So even seeing a pre-algebra textbook um, gave me anxiety. I, I didn't believe that I could do it. But I I did it. Like I started with 
pre-algebra and psychology, and I my whole time at High Desert, there wasn't any group, so I just kept on doing college education. That's awesome, man. Just a real quick, so people understand, when you sign up for college courses, I mean, uh, and I think you explained the layman terms of like a level four yard high security prison is like pretty locked down. It's not going to be as free and open and and chill as like a level one right. place where basically their inmates on those big, you know, on the level four yards where you're talking about are, you know, high risk. They need to be monitored. They're locked down more. Um, and so just to explain real quick about when you sign up for a college course, you know, in a place like that, do you, um, are you going to a classroom twice a week or are they just sending you packets in the mail and you're sending them back? Like how exactly did that work in the beginning for you? Um, well, different colleges do it different ways, but when I was at High Desert, Feather River College was the ones running it. And most of the time it was just, they would give you packets for the semester and you complete the packets and you send them in. Um, at the time, the director of the river, uh, the incarcerated student program was, uh, a wonderful woman named Dr. Joan Parkin. Um, she would come in to the prison every, every couple months and she would talk to us and, um, if anyone was having any trouble with math or, or English or, or You have 60 seconds remaining. Uh, she would spend a couple hours in a classroom with setting with us going through that. Um, but that was, that was, that was rare. We didn't get into the classroom too often. Yeah. Um, so you basically you had to teach yourself that material. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay. Do you want to, uh, we'll hang up and you can call me back. Yes, sir. I'll be right back. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We are joined by a, a inmate who's currently incarcerated in the Avenal state prison calling live in from the prison. So like I said before, we can only do this, uh, in 15 minute increments. Um, but yeah, we're moving along here and going to get into more of, uh, the programs that are offered in the state prison and how Silas has taken advantage of those. We're kind of at the beginning of that right now, talking about his, um, the beginning of his experience with college education and here he is calling back so here we go this is global tell link you have a prepaid call from Silas. an inmate at the avenal state prison avenal california this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded to accept this call say or dial five thank you for using global tell link all right, so you basically, hello. hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can. Okay, so you basically, that's that's pretty remarkable to me, um, you know, having a, you know, basically a 10 to 11 years of education experience, dropping out, you know, the self-confidence with those college courses is really low, you know, obviously, and then you basically were teaching yourself the material um, intro to psychology and pre-algebra and you got through your first semester? Yeah. That yeah. was probably an accomplishing that feeling, I imagine. Oh, man. After those first couple courses, I my, my confidence grew just a little bit. And I started thinking, you know, maybe I'm not so stupid after all. 
and then after a couple more semesters, is my A's added up. Uh, I said, hey, I'm I'm kind of smart sometimes, <laughs> you know. And then as a couple more semesters passed, uh, I was able to look myself in the mirror and tell myself, you're you're smart, you know, you're That's intelligent. Right. You just have to apply yourself. That's awesome, man. And then, um, yeah. So, what? I guess I'll, because we got a lot to cover. I was, I just kind of like, what was it like doing college courses on a level four yard? Oh man, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was kind of stressful. Um, I, when I was in the Middle East, I, I experienced combat. Um, but being on a one eighty yard, I, I experienced. Uh, brutality and um, savagery on a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, at any given moment, going out on the yard, um, you know, I, and I, I lost count. I don't even know how many times, um, you know. Let's call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Um, people would get, uh, you know, stabbed and just, just really horrible things. Um, yeah. So that going on, while um, then going right back to the cell and trying to get the frame of mind to sit down and uh, do algebra, it was, it was difficult, you know, um, yeah. at times. And, um, but it, it, it was difficult because there was not really anybody to ask. Um, I couldn't just ask a teacher if I had a problem. I had to sit there and just read it over and over and over again until I grasped it. Um, so it was a challenge. It was a challenge doing it solo, all on your own. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing about you know that switching up that mindset too. It's like two completely different worlds um, to st- yeah. step in and out of. Um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, man. So, all right. So how did? Yeah. And then, um, so eventually you left High Desert, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was at High Desert for probably about two and a half years, and then I, I transferred to Pleasant Valley. Um, and while I was there, I, I continued my journey in college, and, and so I, I dropped levels. I went from a level four to a level three uh, at Pleasant Valley. And once I got to the level three yard, there was a lot more programs available. So I was actually able to get into different groups, um, NA, AA, um, uh, there's a couple groups, Gogi, Timeless, um, uh, Anger Management, Managing Emotions, uh, Parenting Classes. Uh, there was a lot of things available, and I took advantage of each opportunity to go through that curriculum. That's awesome, man. So did were you basically signing up for whatever you could? I signed up for whatever I could, yeah. That's awesome. And so just because people might not know, so you you were able to move from a level four yard to a level three yard based on, you know, not being problematic and good behavior, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And so, and how long were you at Pleasant Valley for? Uh, I was at Pleasant Valley until, let's see, about a year ago. About a year ago, and then I, uh, so I think four years, four and a half years, somewhere, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe if you want to just talk about like 
maybe some of the programs or facilitators or just inspirational people um, over your time at Pleasant Valley and being involved in those programs, like what, you know, things that might have stood out to you, things that really helped you, um, you know, things that might have like really challenged your beliefs and your values? Yeah, that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's really, that's really amazing. And we'll definitely talk about, you know, where your education is headed um, in a little bit and about yeah. underground scholars. But, you know, it's really cool. Like as a group facilitator myself, I facilitate groups in a treatment center, um, you know, in Santa Barbara. And there is, there is power in getting a room full of of men especially who have lived the lifestyle that you know that you've lived that I lived of of violence and abuse and you know just all those all those traits to get a group of guys like that in a room in a circle and start talking about how you feel emotionally you know what I mean how you're you know and you yeah. start talking and, and, and but when you get you know and it's like I you know I got guys in groups who are former gang members and tattoos on their face and you know big guys and like but you get them in a circle with other people who share a common problem 
and you start talking about that and the vulnerability that happens there, there's a lot of power in that, man. And I can't even imagine the power, you know, inside, actually inside of, um, in a prison doing that. But that's really awesome that you were able to connect to that while you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very grateful for the experience. Um, you know, it, it was something, it's something I'll never forget. That's for sure. Um, so you, so how, how did, as you're at Pleasant Valley, how did your education start to progress? Like you probably, I assume you started out taking just like some general, general education courses. And then when you yeah. moved to Pleasant Valley, did the, did the community college who was providing the work for you have to change to a new college? Um, well, initially Feather River, the one that I started at, uh, High Desert, um, they were operating there at the prison, but they soon... Uh, for reasons I'm, I'm not quite sure of, they stopped offering courses at Pleasant Valley. So I had to, um, you know, try to get involved in other colleges. So I got involved with Coastline College, Lassen College, um, West Hills College. I, I just, I, I gobbled it up. I, I jumped on every college sign-up list that I could, and I just started taking anything and everything I could. Um, I got as many classes as I could. I one semester I took 20 units um, and I just yeah I know man it just uh, <laughs> it, it became a fire that fueled itself I just I it's, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded it's, it's stressful but a good kind of stressful that makes me um, makes me work hard and makes me proud of myself and makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing something in here so I've just been uh, when, I, when I was there, there at Pleasant Valley there was more access to college. So I, I, I kind of doubled down on the college thing and just started doing more than ever. That's awesome. And, and did it continue the same way with like them, them sending you the material and you sending it back basically? Uh, yeah. The, the only ones that did it differently than that was West Hills college. And they actually uh, sent instructors and we would go into a classroom with the instructors for a couple hours a week um, and that was really cool. Actually, that was that was an experience too. Having an instructor there after all all the time of um, not being able to ask, ask questions was um, it made things a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, a cool thing in Santa Barbara County Jail is uh, Santa Barbara City College is is huge with helping formerly incarcerated people. Um, I was part of their transitions program there, and uh, Noel Gomez is a wow. Yeah, Noel Gomez is a—he's a, he's a um, student program advisor and also a teacher um, for the EOPS department. And they—he um, actually goes into Santa Barbara County Jail and teaches a personal development class where he goes there. I think twice or once a week. So Santa Barbara County Jail actually does have things like that, and Santa Barbara City College is, you know, just huge on helping formerly incarcerated people. I agree. Yep, I agree. <laughs> um, so, so man, you probably have like more college credits accumulated than most people like in the state of California. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I, I do have quite a bit right now. Do you have a count on how many you've you've got done since you've been there? Oh man, uh, somewhere somewhere between a hundred and. 
115 units somewhere somewhere in there nice that's so awesome and so were you able to have you were you able to kind of start tailoring your your courses towards some kind of major well yeah i uh 2019 i was able to get two two associate's degrees i got one in uh, math and science and another one in social behavioral sciences uh, i got those through coastline college um in 2019 uh so once I got the degrees done, um, you know, it was, it was cool for me. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to keep going. So I just continue to take different classes, whatever class looks cool to me. Currently I'm working on, uh, addiction studies, uh, certificate. I was talking to you about that the other day. Yeah. Um, so now that I got, I got the degrees and stuff, I got all the general ed done. I, I I'm able to take just classes that seem cool to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And great job on the on the two associates degrees. What do you have a, an interest in math and science particularly over other subjects? You have 60 seconds remaining. Not particularly, um, but I like I told you I I got that first algebra class and it and it, it gave me anxiety. So <laughs> yeah. I kind of made it a point to get that math and science degree. Um I had to do higher level math to be able to get it. And it was just kind of a little personal victory of mine. That's right. That's awesome, man. Um, okay. Yeah. Our friend just told us that we have 60 seconds. So do you, uh, whenever you need to go, let me know. But, um, if you want to call back again, that'd be cool. And we can maybe talk a little bit more about your school and underground scholars and a little bit about success stories. Sure, man. I'll be right back. Okay. Sounds good. All right, so we are currently joined here on Your Life in America by a, uh, a person who is incarcerated inside of Avenal State Prison. Um, so this is a live interview coming from um, inside Avenal State Prison. We are live on KZAA LP 96.5 FM right now. So this is broadcasted on the radio. Um, this show is also being recorded for SoundCloud. So if you aren't tuning in right now or you want to listen to it again later, um, you can just go to yourlifeinamerica.com and there's a link to SoundCloud there. But we've got our guest calling back. This is Global Tell Link. You have a prepaid call from Hi. an inmate at the Avenal State Prison, Avenal, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hello. Yo, what's up? Um, the little breaks hey, are the, the little breaks are actually kind of good cuz it gives me a chance to do a station ID and kind of talk about what we're doing. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Um <laughs> right on. Yeah, so so yeah, cuz we are still live on the radio right now. It's pretty amazing to me as a radio programmer that we've got you in the Avenal State Prison hooked up to our mixing board broadcasting this out onto FM radio from Carpinteria to Galita. Um yeah, it's a pretty cool thing to do. I don't think people do this very often. So thank you very much again for taking the time. Of course, man. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh I I enjoy being able to talk about these things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, definitely, man. And this interview is going to go out to a lot of people and a lot of people are going to hear it. So it'll be, 
it'll be inspiring and um, informative for, for, for a lot of people as well. Um, awesome. I'm glad to hear it, man. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about uh, your friend Kevin McCarthy, who is you know b- distinctively the first uh, incarcerated person to be accepted to a, to Cal Berkeley, um, and that's through a program called Underground Scholars, correct? Yes, sir. That's Underground Scholars. Okay. Do you want to talk talk about what Underground Scholars is and how you got involved with it? Uh, sure. Well, um, Underground Scholars was a program that started in Berkeley in the spring of 2013, and basically what it was is some formerly incarcerated people at Cal uh, kind of started discussing it amongst themselves, and they realized there was more of them than they thought. <laughs> so they decided to organize and create a, a student-run group that supported other students impacted by incarceration. So their their main goal is to increase the population of uh, system impacted people in higher education. That's the like the main thing that they want to do, and they do a very good job at it. Um, they seek to uh, not just integrate people in higher education who are formerly incarcerated, but they also are trying to break the stigma the stigma that goes along with incarceration. Um, That's awesome, yeah. They, yeah, they're, they're great, man. They're great. They, they have a couple key things that they do for people who are in prison and, you know, are working on getting into higher education. They, uh, when the time comes for you to parole, they will help, uh, they'll help formerly incarcerated people get grants and scholarships to pay for their education. Um, like I sent them my unofficial transcripts and they did a, a workup for me in academic counseling and advised me on what, what courses I needed to take. Um, and then they also helped people apply to UCs and uh, Cal State universities, which is no small thing. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's kind of intimidating if, you know, like like for me and my background, like I dropped out of high school, I have no experience at all in, in navigating something like that, but they helped me so much um, with providing me with information, with helping me with my uh, entrance essays, and just, just the general support of people that have been where you're at and know what you're going through, it's... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's uh, pretty incredible what they do to help people um, who are striving to reach for something better. It is, man, yeah, because, you know, UC and Cal State applications for just a regular person living outside are stressful and difficult. Um, (laughs) Right. And so even... (laughs) so. First of all, how does do the Underground Scholars program reach out to in like people who are incarcerated, or do you have to write them, or how does that work? Uh, well, generally, um, from my experience in here, it kind of spreads by word of mouth. Um, Kevin McCarthy is the one who introduced me to Underground Scholars, and he gave me the contact information. He even went so far as to um, talk to the people at Underground Scholars and, and you know, ask them to help me uh, 
it's a student-run organization, so if someone is interested in becoming a member of Underground Scholars, they'll just write them a letter, and they'll write back, and they'll have like a little questionnaire for you about your educational goals, um, your what education you currently have, and and you that's like their their membership um, uh, information sheet basically, and then they stay in touch with you. They advise you on what classes you need to take, and and it's cool. They'll they'll even um, what's really cool to me is they'll even reach out to you just with a postcard or a letter just to tell you to you know keep keep on going and give you encouragement. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So what? So how 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 do you fill out a you know a Cal State or a UC application from inside the prison? Because <laughs> I'm sure people are listening and they're like, "How does this fool fill this out and send it in?" You know? Yeah. Well, it, it, the tricky thing about it is it's all done online, and obviously yeah. I, I don't have any sort of access to a computer or anything. So. To be able to apply to any of these colleges, you have to be able to have someone on the outside to help you. Um, I was fortunate. I had um, the people at Underground Scholars who, like my all of my entrance essays, they edited them for me. I sent them to them, and they gave me commentary and feedback, and you know, told me, you know, what worked, what I needed to add, what I should rethink. Um, so they were instrumental in helping me with the essays. And at the same time, um, uh, there's a, a really, really wonderful lady named Eileen who was actually a friend of Kevin McCarthy's. Um, out of the kindness of her heart, she decided to help me and do my application for me online. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know this woman. Like I, I she never met me. Nothing. But um, she just decided that she wanted to help me in fulfilling my dreams. So she actually is the one. I sent her all of my information, and she just plugged it in online and helped me apply. Man, that's that's an angel right there for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's so cool, man. So, so you, so was Berkeley the only? So, um, Berkeley was the, was that the only school that you applied to? I applied to uh, four CSUs, and the UCs that I applied to was Berkeley, UCLA. Uh, UC Riverside and UCSB. Um, I, I applied to all of those. And what was the result of all those applications? Oh man, you're embarrassing me. I, <laughs> I got into in all of them, man. Dang, them. Was, uh, dude, that that was, gives me chills right now. I, I know. I I couldn't believe it when uh, my sister told me. I'll never forget. I called her and she told me you got into Berkeley. You got into UCLA. I I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's uh yeah, it gives me chills just thinking about that. Um <laughs> So, okay, and so so underground scholars now they further assist you in the transition, you know, cuz cuz stepping out of a 10-year sentence into a, you know, university college campus is not as easy as people might think. So, oh, no. yeah, so Underground Scholars, they further assist you in, in housing and things like that? 
they do? Well, they they plug you in with scholarships and grants. And um, my friend my friend Kevin, when he got out, uh, um, as I mentioned, he did a 22 year stretch. Um, he got out and paroled straight to Berkeley. Um, they helped him um, with a lot of different things. They they were able to. I'm not sure exactly what the program was or the grant, whatever it was. They gave him housing for free for six months. They were able to do that for him, so it was one less thing for him to worry about. Yeah, that's um, awesome. They, yeah, it, it was great. Um, they assist in in so many different ways with with uh, tours on the campus, and then they'll introduce uh, new arrivals. They'll they'll introduce them to, to underground scholars, all the other people involved. Um, I, I think, uh, Kevin would probably be the best one to speak to about that. And, um, you know, I told you before, uh, I'll, I'll try, I'll try to make that happen if you're interested. I would, yeah, I would be honored to do that. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm sure he'd love to. For sure. Um, yeah. Cause when you, when you parole and you, you know, you're thinking of going, when you get, when you hit a college campus like that, it's going to help you out to be around your people a little bit, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I, you know, I've gotten some letters from him, and and he's told me just how great everyone is, and they they help out so much, man. They help out so much. Uh, they're people that understand where you've been, so that definitely makes a difference. For sure, yeah. So, have you made a decision on where you're going to go to school yet? Uh, yeah, actually, last year, um, it, it was a. It was a little bit of a difficult decision, um, but I pretty much knew right away my my heart was to uh, parole to Berkeley and go to UC Berkeley. Um, so I accepted admission into Berkeley, and they deferred my enrollment until fall of 2022. So I get to keep my admitted status, and um, as soon as as soon as I parole, that's where I'm going. Man, congratulations! That's that is. Really? Yeah, that's really this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. That lady can just mess up the yeah. most special parts of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I highly suspect that she waits just to do that. <laughs> yeah. So have you have you picked a major that you're gonna work on? Um, I was accepted into the social welfare program for uh, social welfare BA program. Um, I want to become a social worker and my uh, my main area of emphasis that I I want to try to help this segment of uh, the population is at-risk youth. So I, I don't know in exactly what capacity I'm going to do that yet, but I know if, uh, if I'm armed with a degree in social welfare, it, it's going to better equip me to be able serve that segment of the population um so that's uh that's where i'm going that's the direction i want to go in life i um being on this side of the wall i it's heartbreaking to see um so many people come in here so many kids so many kids doing like just just guys that just look like they're just kids man and, and yeah it's it's heart-wrenching to to think about um just how tapped these prisons are with, with kids who, if someone would have been there and been able to provide them with 
um, education or tools or advice or any kind of, someone, even just someone to let them know that they cared about them and cared about their well-being. Um, I don't, I don't think very many people got that to end up in these places. Um, I, yeah. One of those things. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. And I, you know, I, uh, I think there's something very special about somebody who gets into a professional uh, setting, you know, like yourself being a social worker, like, you know, I, I'm in recovery myself as a counselor and I definitely needed and need all the education and credentials that I've received aside from my, aside from my personal experience. But there is a level of connection. There is a level of connection that happens, uh, you know, working with someone with that, they trust you, you know, and, and, and a person who's at a a young person who's at risk, who's in the system already, you know, and you're going to sit down in front of them and be able to tell them that, you know, you used to think like they think you've been where they've been. You have 60 seconds remaining, you know, but yet you offer, you offer a solution. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's very admirable that that's the route you're choosing to take. Um, Okay. Do you want to do you want to call back maybe once more and and uh, we can talk a little bit about about uh, success stories and initiate justice. All right. I can't wait. Man. <laughs> uh, I will be happy to talk to you until they do count. So All right. We should be able to get one more in. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Talk to you in a minute. All right. All right. All right. All right, so we're still joined uh, live on air by Silas, who's calling from inside the Avenal State Prison. Um, I'm just really blown away by this interview and the conversation. Um, there's some human beings that I've encountered in my life uh, that are special people, and uh, he's definitely one of them. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say other than you're listening to KZAA. LP 96.5 FM and uh, we got our guest calling back right now. This is Global Tell Link. You have a prepaid call from Silas. An inmate at the Avenal State Prison, Avenal, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tell Link. Hello. All right. What's up? We're back. Um, yeah, dang, we've already been going for an hour. I didn't even, I wasn't even paying attention to the time. Um, I know. But also, uh, the, this interview is being recorded. It's being recorded, so I'm going to post it up on SoundCloud. So at the end, if you want to just give me one of your people's phone numbers or, you know, whatever, I can, I can send them the link to the interview and so they can listen to it. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely do that. For sure. So, um, yeah, so like a couple, probably like a month ago, uh, my girlfriend's sister, she actually works for a, a organization in Santa Barbara um, dealing with sexual assault and, and um, called uh, Stessa. It's a really awesome organization. And um, she had told my girlfriend about this YouTube documentary um, about is I, you, you know, the name better than me. It's feminism in cell block something, right? Yeah. It's, it's called the feminist on cell block. Y. Okay. It's yeah. A CNN documentary. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, um, my girlfriend and I watched this and, and you know, because it's very like, that's like the world that I'm in, you know, with like, I just seen people from our walk of life recover and get better. You know, that's what I do for right. work. And so I was super interested in watching it and we watched it and I'm just going to share this a little bit because it's crazy. And, you know, I learned about this success stories program and my friend Will, who's on, who's at Avenal too, called and I was like, Hey, ask, ask some people around your yard if they've ever heard of this program. Cause I just watched this documentary about it. And he was like, Oh, no one's heard of it. Like, but I'll, I'll keep asking. And then the day that I met you, he had called me and he's like, dude, I met this guy and he, <laughs> he knows all about success <laughs> stories and, and I'm going to put oh, you on the God. phone with him right now. And so that's just crazy how this came about. That's how this came about. So if you want to just talk a little bit about success stories and, and what it is and, and like, uh, you know, kind of what the curriculum is about. Sure. I, I'd love to, man. Um, well, Success Stories was started by a couple gentlemen. Uh, one of them's named Richard Edmund Vargas. Another one, his name is Charles Berry. And actually, they founded Success Stories while they were incarcerated in Soledad in 2014. Um, they put together this curriculum. Uh, and essentially, the, the goal, the mission of the entire curriculum is just to dismantle uh, patriarchy in our, in our society and to try to overcome harmful gender behaviors. Um, so real quick, before I continue in the explanation, I, I know some people, to some people that definition, uh, explanation might have hit their ear wrong. Um, <laughs> so to get real clear on terms here, when I say dismantle patriarchy, right? Um, I know when I talk to guys in here about it, they think that that means that uh, the curriculum success stories is saying that leadership by men is, is bad or wrong or something like that. And, um, that's, that's not at all what it means. Uh, patriarchy, uh, dismantling patriarchy is referring to the toxic masculinity aspects of patriarchy. And it's not, it's not putting men down or anything like that. Um, it's, it's just saying that uh, women are equal and men aren't inherently better or anything like that. But our culture, unfortunately, it, it kind of um, it kind of it kind of says that. Those are the messages that that, that we receive. Um, men are um, are not superior in any way. Men and women are equal, and that's that's all they mean by dismantling patriarchy. Yeah, thanks um, for breaking that so down. I just, to, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. Um, the, the Success Stories curriculum is, uh, like I said, it was founded by these gentlemen in prison. And what they came up with, what they discussed, was uh, just that these harmful gender behaviors and this flawed concept of masculinity contributes to a lot of problems in both young boys and, and girls who grew up to be men and women. Um, I mean, I, I'll use myself as an example, but uh, like the way I was I was raised, uh, you mentioned something before just, you know, about how in groups guys share emotions and stuff. Like the way I was raised, um, I learned that men don't show emotions. Uh, I learned that um, men respond to problems with, with violence and 
with aggression. And I thought that uh, power meant violence, you know? Like, so that's the kind of stuff that uh, the program seeks to address. And it seeks to redefine what it really means to be a man. Um, so I got involved with success stories. It's, it's, it's interesting, actually. I, if you watch the documentary, The Feminist on Cell Block Y, and I highly suggest anyone listening does, it's excellent. Um, one of the guys in that documentary, um, uh, his, his name is Roy. Um, he was in the Santa Maria dungeon to the courthouse. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I met him in October of 2019 in that, in the dungeon in the Santa Maria courthouse. And, um, later on I developed a friendship with him and he's the one that broke all of this stuff down to me. Um, it's, uh, sorry, there's, there's an alarm going off right now, but it's just for, uh, alarm test. No worries, no worries. Um, so (laughs) he introduced me to this curriculum and while I was in Santa Barbara County jail in 2019 with Roy, um, he actually ran me through the whole curriculum and he actually, um, taught me the curriculum. So I became a facilitator in success stories. Um, so it was this whole concept of toxic masculinity and what it means to be a man. When he ran all this down to me, uh, again, it was, uh, it changed my whole perspective. Um, I had a real t- hard time for a lot of my life because of what I thought I was supposed to do as a man. You know, I thought being a man meant being violent and being aggressive and, you know, especially in settings like this, you know, I see it all the time. Um, guys think that uh, violence and um, not letting people disrespect them or, or whatever, they think that is what being a man is. Um, so success stories is basically about redefining what it really means to be a man. Um, and it's, it's man, it's been, it's been great for me. Um, I have three daughters, so I definitely am happy that I started reading this feminist informed literature. Um, because I know the last thing that I want for my kids is for them to grow up in a world where they, they're receiving messages from the culture that men are superior and women are, you know, less than. Um, so it was very important for me to learn that, and it's 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 been great. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. Thanks for thanks for breaking all that down and sharing it. It's I think the idea of what it is to be a man and and patriarchy in that form in our society and culture is such a deep rooted thing. It's like generation upon generation upon generation, our culture has just been you know, uh, fed this idea of what it means to be a man. And, um, it's very, very hard for people to break that, you know, um, because, the, yeah. you know, it's like immediately becoming vulnerable to think another way. It's like, Oh, you're weak, you know, or, right, or it's right. wrong. There's almost like this instinctual thing inside of us now that says that that's wrong, you know, because of what, right. is, because what of, because, what the definition of a man has been for so long in our world is just ingrained in everyone. So, and it's really cool that yeah. 
that you've that you know you've learned so much and adapted this having three daughters um to you know i'm 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 a very big supporter of girl power so i'd love to see a woman president and <laughs> i'd love to see a woman president someday, someday i would i would yeah. be very very happy about that um but yeah, are you? Is there any success stories happening uh, at Avenal or no? Unfortunately, not right now. They ever since the pandemic, they haven't allowed us to have any groups. But my, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes when sense. I talked with 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 Roy, um, my my plan was to open a new chapter of it here when I got here or wherever I landed. And unfortunately, they haven't been allowing any groups. But as soon as things are up and running. I, I plan to deliver this curriculum to the men here at Avenal State Prison. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and I will, uh, when I post this interview, I'll I'll post a link on there to the documentary too, so people can watch it. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's it's not awesome. really that long either. I think it's only like an hour long. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just crazy how these things work, man. Because I would have never met you. If, if I didn't wa I watch, it's just wild. I'm thinking about it right now because my life is like fast paced and I'm, you know, talk to a lot of people and do a lot of different things and I'm just thinking about it now. It's like, Let's call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. If I wouldn't have watched that documentary, I wouldn't have asked Will about it. You know what I mean? And if I wouldn't have asked him about it, he would have never asked you about it. And um, yeah, it's just wild how this whole thing came about and also that you're from the that you're from a, the area too that you're from Santa Maria so um right yeah it's pretty cool right. so another thing you had mentioned when we talked before was initiate justice um and i yes, i don't know much about that um if you want to talk a little bit about that as well sure um well initiate justice uh was actually started by uh the same guy that started Success Stories. So if you check out Success Stories, you want to check out this documentary, I'd highly suggest looking into Initiate Justice too. Uh, Richard Edmund Vargas and his wife actually started Initiate Justice, and it has different arms of what it does, but uh, the part that I have been involved in is the people on the inside of prison, right? So what what I do is, um, as a member of Initiate Justice, I'm, a, I'm an inside organizer, I get information from Initiate Justice about upcoming bills and legislation that we're, we're trying to pass um, to help people who are affected by mass incarceration. Um, so when these bills come along, I write to lawmakers, I write to congressmen, I, I, I try to get them to support this legislation. Um, the main goal of Initiate Justice is to end mass incarceration. I mean, I don't need to explain to you how devastating it is on families and communities and how um, out of control it's gotten. Yeah, That's the no. main purpose of it. Um, and getting other people in prison involved in the civic process is another part of it. So I, I, I try to have conversations with guys about... Um, you know, the civic process and getting involved and writing their families, getting them to vote. Uh, so it's, I, I mean, it's good to be civic, civically engaged. Uh, studies show a correlation between, uh, you know, the higher someone's civic engagement, the lower their, their recidivism rates. So it's like 
the more engaged people are in that process, the more connected they feel to the community. Um, so it's it's beneficial all the way around. Oh man, that's I'm afraid that's it, my friend. <laughs> Is that it? Dang. Okay, well. Uh, Thank you so much, Silas. If you want to call me back like tomorrow or something um, and give me your fam- family's info, um, I will send them this interview. But I'll send it along to uh, Initiate Justice and Success Stories and all those guys. Please do. And, yeah. and please, uh, you know, if anyone wants to check this stuff out, initiatejustice.org, uh, uh, undergroundscholars.berkeley.edu, um, feminist on cell block Y. Uh, I'm telling you, you guys check this stuff out. The people that are putting these things together, they're incredible. They're a lot smarter. They're a lot more talented. And they're you have 60 seconds remaining. They're doing a lot of good things, making a lot of real change in our communities. So I invite anybody to check those things out. Definitely, man. And you are an incredible person yourself and have an amazing story and amazing things ahead of you. So um, yeah, give me a call like tomorrow or something, or, or if I don't answer, just keep calling. I'll answer eventually, and then I can get your people's info and, and get this over to them. Cool. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. Take care of yourself. All right, you as well. All right, later. All right, so glad we started that interview at 3, because um, <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to happen. Um yeah, I'm just really like blown away right now by the oh, the adversity and or uh, perseverance from our guest there, Silas. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. So he laid it all out as far as the way to find um, these organizations. This interview uh, is being recorded. It'll be uploaded to SoundCloud. And if you follow Your Life in America on Instagram, um, it's at your life in America, 96.5 FM. I am going to make a post with, uh, this interview on it. And in that post, I'll provide like all the Instagram pages and links for all these things that we talked about. If you're interested in them, um, you can catch the show back here next week on Thursday at 4 PM. So that's Thursday. Let's see. I think it's March 4th. Yeah. Thursday, March 4th. I will be interviewing, a band called Last Point. Um, they're a local punk band out of Carpentria. They just put out an LP that's freaking awesome. It rips. Um, so I will be interviewing them next week to talk about the LP and everything they've been up to. Um, but yeah, again, follow this show on Instagram, Your Life in America, 96.5 FM. I hope everyone enjoyed this interview. I feel very honored and very privileged to have conducted an interview um, that came from inside a California state prison and was broadcasted on FM radio um, in Santa Barbara. So until next week, this is your host, Dylan. This show is Your Life in America. That was episode 11 of the Your Life in Prison series. You will find it on the Your Life in America SoundCloud in a little bit, which you can find the Your Life in America SoundCloud um, on yourlifeinamerica.com. Hope everyone has a good rest of the week. Take care.